All right, Treya. All earthly things with earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. And I'm convinced of this, God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, what do you need? Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you. Somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. I don't know about y'all, but I am where I am today in large part because of the prayers of God's people, prayers of my mother especially, and my father. Uh, I would not be standing here today were it not for certain people that have prayed for me along the way, and you probably wouldn't be either, through the mystery and the wonder and the power of God through prayer. And everybody has a history, everybody has a story, everybody has a testimony. A lot of people think pastors aren't human beings, like we somehow were born on the church property and we have, with a guitar around our neck and serving communion and reading the Bible, but we're people just like you, you know, and we, we've, we've, we've walked roads all the same. Um, and when I was a freshman in college and into my sophomore year, I wasn't living the most Christian lifestyle by any means. And um, I had roommates, sweet mates in my dorm room that prayed for me a lot. And how do I know that? Because I would come back from class and they would look at me and say, we're praying for you. And I would go, thank you? But they would. I would come in and I would walk. They'd be in the suite, the, the gathering living room part of the, the dorm room, and they'd be praying. And they would say my name. I would hear it. Pray for me. God bless Clark. He needs help. He's making bad decisions. I was like, is this gossip? This is really close to gossip. But they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And what I loved about that there's such a mystery to it, but I love that they looked at me, and they had a burden for me, and they looked at me, and they didn't see a dead end, right? When you pray for somebody, you see hope. They, you literally live out 1 Corinthians 13. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things, and so they, they didn't see me as a project. It wasn't patronizing. It wasn't condescending, but they interceded over my life in prayer, and could God have worked? Of course he could have, but I don't fully understand it. But it is through the agency of the human being, through our prayers, that God primarily changes human, human history. Our prayers are that big a deal. Um, literally, when we pray, we are changing the world around us. Or God is changing the world around us through us. Even though I, was, I would say I was spiritually dead, and I know I was up to that point, my sophomore year. They looked at me and didn't judge me, but they prayed for me. I was essentially a dead man walking. And they prayed me into the kingdom. And maybe that's your story too. And I, I could not be more thankful. And I'm still friends with those guys. Uh, one of them was, my, was in, in my wedding where my grooms and men. He's still a very close friend. Uh, just an incredible thing. And what we're going to read today is a story in Acts chapter 9 of Peter being asked to come and pray over a dead person. Uh, and uh, you, you might know how it ends. <laughs> let's, let's read this together, Acts chapter 9, um, starting in verse 36. 
Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, who heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him with a request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. So I've witnessed God do many miracles in my life. I've seen people be healed physically in a way that a doctor cannot explain. Um, I have witnessed uh, just a lot of God do miracles. I've, I know a lot of people who have been healed of certain diseases. Um, people coming to faith in Jesus Christ is a miracle. That is God intervening in human history on your behalf. That is the definition of a miracle. Um, another miracle is, is the miracle of childbirth. Uh, it, that feels like a miracle to me. If, when you're in the operating room uh, or, the, or with that day and you see your baby for the first time. Now, I would say, though, that it is easier to birth a baby than to raise the dead. Would you agree with that? Now, to those of you that have birthed babies, you're thinking, raising the dead sounded pretty good when that next wave of pain came on me. I was thinking twice. But Peter's work here in raising the dead doesn't seem as arduous maybe as birthing a baby, but he is bringing, God is bringing new life through him, through his prayers. Um, for the Christian, we, we, should, we should look at Peter here as an example because Peter is literally being like Jesus here. He's literally doing what Jesus would have done. Um, he has the mind of Christ. He he is praying like him, I'm sure. He is acting like him. He is talking like him. He is so much like Jesus, they, they immediately think, who can we call? Peter. Go get him. And they turn to Peter, this firebrand guy, an uneducated fisherman who was a disciple, and now he has matured to apostle, meaning one who is sent. Um, in a Star Wars terminology, you say he was a Padawan. And now, he's a Jedi Knight. Sorry, I'm not really thinking a lot about Obi-Wan's coming out in a couple weeks. But he is, he, is, he is risen in his understanding, after Pentecost especially, Peter. And he is not just telling people what, what, who Jesus is, but he is showing them what he can do. He's not just saying it, he's doing it. And he's fully expecting that he can and will do what Jesus did. And so what does he do? He kneels at this woman's bedside and he begins to pray. He is emulating what he has seen Jesus do many, many times. In verse 40, it said, he sent them out of the room. He clears the room. Jesus did this many times when he would raise the dead. He would clear everyone out. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus raises the daughter of a leader of a local synagogue and Jesus says, everyone get out. This crowd that's around me, I need complete silence here. Now, what were Peter's prayers? We don't know. How long were his prayers? We don't know. 
But what we do know is that he's acting like Jesus in this very moment. Now, when Jesus healed people, this is, I, this is fascinating to me, multiple times it's recorded, he looks up to heaven before it happens. He looks to the Father to do the miracle, or Jesus, or both of them to do the miracle, but he's looking to heaven. So I like to think when Peter is praying, he could very well have his eyes open, looking up to heaven while he's praying for Tabitha. But whatever his prayer looks like and sounds like, these were not cursory, perfunctory, lackadaisical prayers. These were not, I'm scared what other people might think. These could very well be ugly cry sort of prayers. Just laying it all out there 100%. This could be why he, well, these prayers were not, just I'm going to get this over with because they called me. These prayers were Those kind of prayers don't raise the dead, is what I'm trying to say. Those kind of prayers don't change history, right? Those kind of prayers do not birth new life in the spirit. What Peter could have been doing here is what is classically called travailing prayer. And the word travail just means a burdened or uh, focused pressing with your entire being. And this could be why Peter clears the room out, or Jesus would too, so that he could be completely focused on what was about to happen. This is similar to what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter six, where he talks about prayer. Whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now moms and dads, you Christian moms and dads, you understand travailing prayer, a burdened and focused pressing on behalf of your children. We fully get that, and if you don't know that, I encourage you to start to do that to start praying for your children. Because in many cases, if you don't do it, more, almost no one else will. It is a holy gift that your children are to you and to all of us. I've heard told this story before, but for those of you who haven't heard it, when I was at my last church, I was working on a computer one day in the sanctuary, and it was totally empty, no one was in there, and um, getting stuff ready for Sunday. And a door opened next to the front chancel area, and a woman came in that I knew, whose child was a, uh, a young adult, and she came in and fell on her knees. She didn't, it wasn't a polite way to approach a prayer rail. She collapsed on the prayer rail, leaned over it, weeping, her tears literally getting all over the prayer rail, and just sobbing uncontrollably. And I knew her situation, I knew her child, and I knew they were making a lot of bad choices. And that woman was coming into the church, travailing, for her child. And I th- my heart broke and I prayed for her in that moment, but I also realized this is the best place for her to be. This is the best place to do that, right? Because if you can't pray in God's house like that, where can you pray? <laughs> I mean, you should feel free to bring all that you have before God at any time. So parents, we get that. Billy and Ruth Graham said that they pray the most when their children were adolescents, when they were teenagers. That's when they said, they literally said, we were on our knees every night by by our bed together, praying. So if Billy Graham had to do it, well, so do we. A a couple years ago, I was talking to a friend who had like a four-year-old kid, and um, we were talking about raising a little one and making sure they don't hurt themselves all the time and fall downstairs, and you're cleaning up, and you know, it's that whole, you have to be, that's how it is at that age. 
And in the conversation, someone said, yeah, wait until they have a driver's license. <laughs> and this realization went over this guy's face, and he got this like thousand-yard stare, like a shell-shocked look, and he was like, oh my God, they're going to be a teenager one day. He'd forgotten this thing is going to grow up and get more expensive. St. Augustine, one of the great theologians of the church, famously said he was a son of his mother's tears. If you don't know about his testimony, uh, when he was 16 years old in the year 371, Augustine, now his mother Monica was a Christian, Augustine was not. When he was 16 years old in 371, Augustine sneaks away in the middle of the night out of their home in Carthage, and he sails away to Rome to join a cult uh, that was very much into being sexually promiscuous and all sorts of debauchery that he would then be involved with for 17 years. So another half of his life, Augustine would run away from the faith of his mother. And Monica, his mother, would pray for years and years, hoping for her son to be safe, for him to be alive. And Augustine would later write, and he would write a lot. And what did she beg of you, my God, with all those tears, if not that you would prevent me from sailing? But you did not do as she asked you. He sailed anyway, didn't he? Instead, in the depth of your wisdom, God, you granted the wish that was closest to her heart, for she saw that you had granted her far more than she used to ask in her tearful prayers. You converted me to yourself, so that I no longer placed any hope in this world, but stood firmly upon the rule of faith, and you turned her sadness into rejoicing, into joy far fuller than her dearest wish, far sweeter and more chaste than she had ever hoped to find. And that's just like God. The definition of a blessing is going above and beyond expectation. And God always exceeds expectations. Forever. He's really, really good at it. And he gave Monica an abundance. He, he didn't just do the bare minimum for her son. But he would save her son. And then use him to transform the church forever. The church father, Origen, said, To weeping and weeping alone, God will pay attention. Tertullian said prayer is a kind of holy violence to God. John Chrysostom advocated for travailing prayer, for with tears, he wrote, souls are planted. Indeed, Psalm 126, 5 reminds us, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Travailing prayer, it is the holy work of Christ's church around the world. It should be our holy, holy, solemn, and world-changing task. Jesus said, my father's house should be a place of prayer, didn't he? It's not a place to make money. It's not a place to rip people off. It's not a place to divide people over politics and all that stuff. He said, my house is intended to be a place of prayer. Prayers that change the world. Prayer belongs here. That is our, one of our big, big roles in the world today. The church has to pray and pray with a burden-focused pressing for the affairs of our world. I don't know about y'all, but as a good Southern boy, I always like fire. Fire is great, cheap entertainment, isn't it? It's the cheapest entertainment, really. 
sit and watch it burn. The undulations, the weird colors. You just sit and look at it for a while. Now, if you've ever had a fire in a fireplace, which many of us have, have you ever tried to pull a log out of the fire while it's burning? Probably not a good idea. It's hard to do. But if you do get it out, well, what of course happens? The log eventually goes out. It won't keep burning. Because for the log to burn, it belongs in the fireplace. Prayer belongs in the church. It is one of our most holy and solemn tasks. The church is the fireplace. The log, it's you and me. The spirit is the the spark to ignite the flame. And once that fire burns, y'all, all sorts of things start to change around us for the, for the better. God uses those prayers to change the world. But for the church to burn with that holy fire, for that earnestness, for that passion, we must pray. For the times that we live in are dire. And the coming of the Lord is ever nearer than it was yesterday. Many in church history, like Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, even Wesley, when they talked about prayer in the church, they beautifully would use imagery from Genesis where the spirit is hovering over the waters of creation. And it's the spirit that would, that would bring forth life on the land and bring, and bring order to the chaos, right? Bring creation and life at the creation of the world. In the same way they would say, the spirit hovers over Christ's church looking for churches that will pray that will pray, that will travail in prayer. And it is the church's role to pray that new life into reality. Just how my sweet mates prayed for me. In this regard, the church has historically been seen as a mother, which I think is a beautiful picture for the church. As a mother for people to come in, to be loved, to be healed, to be converted, to be transformed, to be raised and then to be sent out of the nest. And that's fitting for Mother's Day, that our goal is to lift up individuals, neighborhoods, societies, governments, all to travail over in prayer, seeking new life in the Spirit for the world around us. Now the mystery of this is that the Holy Spirit prays along with us when we do this. If we will pray in this way, in a travailing prayer for our family and friends and world, Romans 8 tells us the Spirit prays with us. You, do, you never pray alone. And sometimes if you don't know what to pray, you don't have the words to pray, it's okay. Sometimes you don't have to because God doesn't just only speak English, okay? <laughs> he can speak whatever he wants. There's deeper language from deep calls to deep like the psalmist would write. Paul would write that likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we don't know how to pray as we ought but that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. He helps us pray before the Father. It's one of his roles. And God, who searches hearts, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So even if you don't pray the perfect prayer and say all the right words, God's will will be accomplished. That's what he's saying. So when Monica prayed for Augustine, her son, he knew what Augustine needed more than Monica knew what her son needed. And so the Spirit interceded on her behalf to help fulfill the will of God in Augustine's life. May our hearts break for the things that break the heart of God. 
The church in the West, we do need to rekindle this idea of travailing prayer because the fruit of that is changed lives, revival, a great awakening, and more of God. And that's always a good thing, more of God when we pray. And when we pray, we're literally bringing heaven down to earth. We are inviting heaven into earth. We are, we are stepping into the Lord's prayer idea that for God's will to be done and not our own. And John Wesley wrote a lot of journals. He journaled a lot. And one of the most famous, one of the things that's always interested me, he was, he was I'm gonna paraphrase. He was in a prayer meeting. They were serving Holy Communion in a meeting house in London. And while they were in this very holy, holy and solemn moment, they heard what Wesley would record as heavenly music that broke through into their prayer meeting. And everyone was still. And every, he said everyone there heard it. And no one said a word. Because they said it was one of the most beautiful sounds they'd ever heard. As heaven and earth got very close, it seemed, and that there's thin places where God was at work. When we pray and we seek, he is close in those moments. All of this sermon is to say, like Peter in Acts chapter nine, we all have a dead person to pray for. We all have someone that needs our prayers. People like you and I, some of us used to be, waiting to be prayed into the kingdom. It's holy work. It's an it's a important work. And you might be thinking, I'm too weak for that. I don't have enough faith for that. Well, you're kind of in good company then. Because it's actually, you need to bring your weaknesses and admit that. That's okay. God knows your heart. Charles Spurgeon said, God doesn't need your strength. He has more than enough of power on his own. He asks for your weakness. He has none of that himself. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can bring to you our weaknesses, that you don't call us to be super saints, to be more than we think we are, that we can come to you with our brokenness, our weaknesses, and our anxieties and our worries and our fears. We intercede, O oh God, on the behalf of our family, of our nation, of our city. We pray for more of you and less of us. We pray for your name to be elevated above all of our shared names. God, I pray that we continue to walk in this, this holy mystery of travailing prayer to see, God, when we have a burden-focused pressing on behalf of others. God, you will, use the, you will use that when it's all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We don't pray in vain. We pray with hope, just as you did, Lord. Let us continue to look heavenward, for that is where our power comes from. And that is your will that will be always be accomplished by the work of your Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf. Oh God, let this church continue to be a place of prayer. A place, God, where we encounter you in new and fresh ways, where people are changed by your love. Your love that will never end, that will never pass away, that you will, you will never be separated from us, that you desire for all people to live and for no one to be separated from you. But God, we can be separated by our own choosing, by the volition and choice of our will. We can choose to reject you. That breaks your heart. You don't want that. That grieves you because you love the world. God, we come to you with open hands and open hearts. And I pray for anyone that has never given you their life that this would be the time. In faith, God, to see and trust that you're good. Come Holy Spirit.